So there may be quite a few people who are saying, how can a Christian sin like that? I'll tell you one person who wouldn't be asking that question. It's the Apostle Paul. Oh, 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 I know you're saying, yeah, but all his serious sin was before he was saved, right? Well, wait, first of all, tell me what non-serious sin is. And then you'd be wrong because he kept committing serious sin until the day of his death because all sin is serious. So this week I had an interaction with a friend who, who basically in our conversation said, I'm just a little concerned because it sounds like you are encouraging sin, Joe, and you're expecting sin because, and he quoted a part of my sermon where I said, I'm sorry, I'm going to sin against you more and more as I get to know you over the years and it's just going to get worse as we get to know each other. Sounds like I'm in encouraging and expecting sin. First of all, I would say thank you for the first one that it sounds like I'm encouraging sin. I'm not, but thank you for that because that's exactly what happened to Paul as he was preaching the gospel. That people kept saying, oh, hey, wait, are you getting so close with this big grace thing that you're encouraging sin? And Paul's answer was, do you remember? God forbid, by no means. So let me make it clear. Am I encouraging sin? What in the world do you think? I love you. Why would you take that which burns and bring it into your breast or your lap? Don't. It's horrible to God. It's horrible to neighbor. I am not encouraging sin. Second question. Do I expect it? Absolutely. Sadly. But absolutely. I mean, it is true that God has made us a new creation, a chosen people, slaves of righteousness and servants of the Most High. He has made us disciples and ambassadors and royal priests. We are temples of His Holy Spirit, citizens of the kingdom, friends of God, children of the King, and brides of Christ. That's good stuff. And then we're going to find ourselves drinking too much like Noah, harming our spouses like Abraham, doubting and laughing in the face of God like Sarah, lusting and fornicating like Judah, succumbing to peer pressure like Adam, exploding in anger like Moses, grumbling and complaining like Israel, wallowing in fearful anxiety like the ten spies, disobeying clear instructions like Achan, sleeping with harlots like Samson, murdering like David, playing the fool like Solomon, running from our mission like Jonah while hating believers and calling down hellfire like the disciples, <gasps> denying Christ like Peter, throwing falling Christians like John Mark under the bus like Paul, lying like Ananias and Sapphira, committing the most unimaginable sins like the Corinthians and becoming lukewarm like the Laodiceans. That's who we are. That's what I expect. Not because it's good. It's absolutely horrible. But this is what Paul expected. Because Paul knew that he was a saint. He knew that he was a sinner. He knew that he was a sinner saint until the day he died. And I want to prove that to you from Scripture. Let's read now Romans chapter 7. For we know that the law is spiritual. But I am of the flesh, sold under sin. I do not understand my own actions. I do not do what I want. 
I do the very thing I hate. Now, if I do what I do not want, I agree with the law that it is good. So now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. For I know that nothing good dwells in me, that is, in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. Now, if I do, not, if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. So I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. For I delight in the law of God in my inner being, but I see in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then, I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but with my flesh, I serve the law of sin. And so does this sound familiar? Are there people here who are addicts? You have some old sin and you've gone to Jesus over and over and you have said, can you take this thorn from me? And his answer so far has been, sure I can. And no, I won't. So you go to him and say, Lord, I want to love you more and I want to hate sin. And you really do want to love him more and hate sin but yet you find yourself loving you more and still loving sin. And you're kind of confused on the inside, like there's almost the Jekyll and Hyde thing going on here. Have you tried technique after technique? Uh, I'm going to have devotions. I'm going to come forward and bow. I'm going to give my testimony. I'm going I'm to call Pastor Joe and have a conversation. I'm going to buy another book. I'm going to purge the house. I'm going to go get therapy and you try one thing after another, but still, though you have this in you where you want to do good, you keep finding yourselves not doing always the good you want to do. And though you do find some distaste for sin, you keep running after it like an addict over and over again. Am I speaking your language? Or maybe you're the older folk who have finally at this point in your life put to death the besetting sin that one thing that killed you, and now it no longer, you don't struggle with it anymore. I know you. You got a new one now, don't you? Uh, maybe it used to be lust, but now it's fear. Maybe it used to be fear, but now it's just, I'm angry at all the people all the time. I'm just a grumpy old man. Isn't that what happens? A little success here? Oh, no. Another area here. Is this really what's going on? And do you find yourself even questioning your salvation because you thought by this point in life, I thought I'd be a whole lot better off than this. Well, welcome to my world, the world of the sinner saint. In this passage that I read, Paul is sanctimonious. I know we heard that word a lot, but let's just use it with Paul. He was pretty proud of himself before he was saved. I was an exemplary young man, a great education of the right tribe. I was far advancing faster than my peers, and he was pretty proud of himself as a man. I was blameless in the law. I was the rabbi, 
And so serious was I for the faith of my fathers that I was willing to study the peace and purity of the church and even put to death Christians who were so blaspheming the holy God. That was Paul. Looked good on the outside, but the outside of the cup is not the only thing that matters. The inside of the cup matters, and God looked at Paul and knew that Paul was a totally depraved sinner. Paul was born in his sin. There was never a day when he kept any of the law ever. Not one of them. And if you're guilty of breaking one, you're guilty of breaking them all. So he's guilty of breaking them all. There was not one part of his being that was not scarred by sin. And he was getting worse. He was progressing in his sin. As a matter of fact, we see him as he's on the road to butcher families that belong to Jesus. He's the great Jewish antichrist on a holy jihad. That's who he was. Paul understands what it means to be a sinner, but God came after him. God chose him. God let him grow up learning these scriptures that he didn't know about. And when the day was right, God went to him on the road to Damascus and dropped him. Paul was saved. And at that point, what happens to Paul? He becomes a saint. And St. Paul has all kinds of different things going on on the inside. He's made a new man. He's given a new heart. He's got this new identity. And look what he says in those passages. He says that Paul has a different law of the mind. It's different than the law of the flesh. He has different wants. He now wants that which is good. And he doesn't want that which is evil, he said in Romans 7. He has different desires. Within him are new passions. He, wants, he delights in God's holy, righteous, good, and spiritual law. He has different hates, different longings, and oh, how God used him. There is no doubt that Romans 7 is written to a believer. There are some theologians who will try to tell you that's not true. They don't like the idea of thinking of Paul as being one struggling with sin. They like to think that you mature and you advance past this condition. Paul can't have those desires unless he is born again. He can't pursue and love God's law unless he's born again. In the text there, what do you see? You see that Paul is writing in the present tense. And then you see a change in pronouns. He was talking about men, but now he starts talking about I, and he's talking about I right now. You see that Paul is talking in the middle of a whole bunch of chapters describing the Christian life. We see that Paul is using language that other saints use in other scriptures to describe this battle that goes on, this spiritual warfare, the holy war on the inside. You see Paul saying, I just don't understand it myself. I'm kind of confused sometimes. It really is like I got this inner conflict going on. I could read you lots of quotes. I'm going to have to skip them. This is not the minority view. It's the majority view of all the heroes that I have in theology. This is what they believe, that Paul is giving you his testimony. It's almost like he's standing here behind this, the mic saying, I want to tell you my autobiographical testimony. And this is what it is. I once was lost, I now am found, and now that I am found, I have this struggle going on on the inside. 
How does Paul describe it? He says, I got this old part of me that's the flesh, sin dwelling in me. It's sold under sin. And inside, nothing good dwells in me. I got this old part of me that's the law of sin. It dwells in my members. My flesh serves it, and it wages war against the good part of me. It keeps encouraging me like the devil on one shoulder and the demon on, I mean, the angel on the other. There's, there's like a little demon inside me that keeps whispering, don't do that when I should, and encourage me to do that which I shouldn't. Sins of omission and commission, it encourages. Yes, evil lies close at hand when I desire to do right. And because of this, Paul is emotionally wretched. There is not a believer who is emotionally wretched over his indwelling sin looking for Jesus one day to come and fix it. This is the man you see in Romans chapter 7. The best of the best. The best apologist and evangelist and preacher and healer and writer. This is Paul. You, you don't get more mature maybe than Paul. And Paul says, I am actually wretched. And he knows that there's hope. Notice where his hope comes from. The hope doesn't come from, tell me more what I have to do, the law. That's not going to fix him. His hope doesn't come from his own flesh. I'm going to work harder. Now I can do it. His hope does not come from his will. I just got to decide. The hope doesn't even come from the Holy Spirit here. The Holy Spirit indwells us, but the Holy Spirit doesn't eradicate the evil nature that is with us. His hope is finally coming on the day when he is delivered from this body of sin and death, when he sees Jesus face to face. So does Paul expect to sin? He expects to sin until he's delivered from his body of death when he sees Jesus. And in case you're still confused, look at the last verse one more time. Can you show that slide, please? The very last phrase. Well, who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord, he will do it. So then, how do I end? I myself, I serve the law of God with my mind, with one part. And I guess with my flesh, I'll serve the law of sin. Paul is not having a bad day, a depressed day. He's not in a backslidden state. Leon Morris writes, the more we advance spiritually, the more clearly we see the high standards God sets for his people and the more deeply we deplore the extent of our shortcoming. Paul is giving his inspired, mature, believing, autobiographical testimony. He's having to come to Jesus moment with his people. It's real. It's raw. It's vulnerable, transparent, and very helpful. And so how do we then leave Romans 7? Go to the final slide with all the points, please. I'm only going to talk about the first two, and then we'll leave the rest for next week. We mourn, and we wait. That's what we do. We mourn. Jesus Christ said, blessed are those who mourn. And so 
Are we apathetic towards our sin nature and the sins that come from it? No. We mourn. We cry. God has intentionally left us with two natures. He will take one of them away at glory. That's called glorification. But until then, we've got two. So you can call it Hyde and Jekyll, angel or demon, spirit or flesh, new man or old man, new creation or old creation, new nature or old nature, new heart or old heart, that part of you that's in Jesus and that part of you that's in Adam, this part is totally divine. It can't get any better or worse. It's totally divine. This part is totally depraved. All of you is covered by that. That's what we got, and so we mourn. And we mourn because we dishonor God. We mourn because we damage our brothers and sisters. We cry, and we keep doing so. Not less and less, but the testimony of my heroes is, as I get older, I'm going to do it more and more. Because the closer I get to the sun, the hotter it gets. And the closer I get to God, the more glorious and holy he is and the more scandalous I am. And so we mourn because it's going to be with us until the day God takes us home. You can read this in Luther, I have a quote. In Hodge, I've got Heidelberg and Westminster catechisms for you. This is orthodox. We are people with two natures. And we mourn because we're troubled by our sin. We don't sin as much as we want. Now we sin more than we want. And so an evidence of our salvation is the fact that we're troubled on the inside and that we're wretched and we're never as wretched as we should be. So don't get yourself all worked up that if you have, you have to be a certain level of wretchedness before you're a Christian. You're not saved plus Jesus plus your wretchedness. But this is a good fruit of what the Holy Spirit does. He troubles us. And so with increased frequency and fervency, we mourn. And where do we mourn? We mourn in prayer, in confessing our sins. And we mourn with our brothers and sisters as we confess our sins one to another. And sometimes we mourn like this behind a mic. I wanted to make something very clear to you. We didn't require Dave and Sherry to come up here and do this. They volunteered. There may be some churches that need to drag their wounded up in front and make them feel bad forever. They volunteered to tell their story to confess their heartbreak, to confess their sin, to confess their hope in Christ. This is what we do as Christians. We are not those people, those arrogant people who get to the end of our life and say, well, we finally left that sin. Oh, I want you to leave that sin. But you're not going to leave sin because you are sinful. You carry it with you. And from that evil heart, that part of you that's still rank that will go away at glory will always come forth putrid sin. And so we're humble and we mourn. We're not happy. And what do we do? Oh, I'm going to get here. I promise. I promise. 
I'm going to talk to you about what it means to repent next week and rest in the gospel and how to trust that, well, why is God allowing this to happen? And then, oh, Jesus also said, blessed are those who mourn, but he said, blessed are those who what? Hunger and thirst after righteousness. It's not honoring God to hunger a little bit. It's honoring God to want to be as holy as he is. And then what are we going to do? We're going to do. After we be, we're going to do. We're going to fight. We're going to wrestle. We're going to put off. We're going to put on. We're going to do a bunch of stuff. We're going to gather and pray and use the means of grace and run from sin and take our stand against the devil and put on the armor. I'm going to get there. I promise. I believe in holiness and I believe in works that Jesus Christ does through us, that he's predestined us to do. But I believe in it. And we can even applaud. Not ourselves, but we can boast in what Jesus Christ is doing because when his Holy Spirit invades our life, good stuff is bound to happen. We should see maturation. So I'm going to get there. But for today we mourn. And we wait, knowing it gets better. We are saved, but we are between the now and the not yet. As Mark said last week, we have been saved, we are saved, and we will one day be saved entirely from the experience and the presence of sin. It's going to happen. And so John Newton writes, I am not what I ought to be. Ah. Uh, how imperfect and deficient. I am not what I wish to be. I abhor what is evil, and I would cleave to what is good. I am not what I hope to be. Soon, soon I shall put off mortality, and with mortality all sin and imperfection. Yet though I am not what I ought to be, nor what I wish to be, nor what I hope to be, I can truly say, I am not what I once was, a slave to sin and Satan. And I can heartily join with the apostle and acknowledge, by the grace of God, I am what I am. Christian, you are not a slave to sin, but you're going to keep sinning. You can say no to sin, but you're not always going to say no to sin. You've got a Holy Spirit and a new man in you. And you've got that old flesh, the world, the flesh, and the devil calling your name. But the good news is, all the truth of Romans 6 doesn't change by Romans 7. And after you get through Romans 7, it starts off with what? There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Jesus Christ. This grace that I'm presenting to you is grace despite your sin. Grace in the midst of your sin. Grace that is greater than all your sin. And grace that just won't leave you alone in your sin. It'll come get you and transform you from the inside out. That's the kind of grace I'm talking about.